I want to preach a message this morning entitled A Superficial Thanksgiving. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Thanksgiving just four days away. We come this morning as a church to celebrate it corporately before we go to our homes to do so individually on Thursday. The great theologian Johnny Carson once said that Thanksgiving is an emotional holiday. People travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year and then discover once a year is way too often. (laughs) Melanie White said Thanksgiving is a time to count your blessings, name them one by one, as each relative goes home. You know, for a lot of folks, that's what Thanksgiving is. It's really just an annoying blip on the radar. Meet and eat with folks you don't even like in the first place. And for many of you, it's a roadblock to putting up Christmas decorations and playing Christmas music. And then just unable to stand yourselves, you'll go full-blown pre-Thanksgiving Christmas and you'll put up the decorations and play the Christmas music before Thanksgiving, which is a sin. You know that. (laughs) But yet, how fitting is it that we have a national day of Thanksgiving? It's been said Thanksgiving cannot occur in a vacuum of ignorance. And so I want to give you briefly before we get started the why, when, where, what, and how. Why? Why do we think? Because one, it honors God. Psalm 92.1 said it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Acts 17.28, in Him we live and move and have our being. If you move and live and have your being in God, should you not thank Him for that? And two, it's commanded in Scripture, Psalm 104. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know the will of God for your life? There's one. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then third, why? Because thanklessness is literally hazardous to your health. It's been shown that thankful people have better physical, emotional, and mental health. As A.W. Tozer said, Thanksgiving has great curative powers. And then when? Every time we pray. Always. You read Paul's letters. What does he say? Every time we think of you. Always giving thanks to you. Where? Everywhere. And in everything. It's what Ephesians 5.20 says. What? God and people. Well, what about God? Many of us are great at thanking God for what He's done. But again, as we talk about all the time, how many times do we just sit down in our quiet time and pray and say, thank you, God, for who you are. As I was praying this morning, thank you, God, that every morning I wake up, your mercies towards me are new every day. Thank you that you put up with me, you wipe the slate clean, and it's a new day, and the old things you don't bring back the remembrance of what I did. Praise God that that's the kind of God that we love and serve. And so, people, are you thankful for people? Even those ones that annoy you. Are you thankful for those? Even the ones who have let you down, hurt you, are you thankful for them? And so how? Well, we're going to have a national day at Thanksgiving. But for some, it's going to be a time of praise. Some, it's just a pretext. I've got to get past Thanksgiving, so I'm going to put up them Christmas decorations. 
Some it's going to be a spiritual time and some it's going to be a superficial time. One of Jesus' most well-known parables in Luke 18 warns us of this danger. That Thanksgiving would be nothing more than a pretext to something else. That it would be a superficial time, not a spiritual time. And so I want you to consider as we look through this and preach on this this morning, to ask yourself, who am I? Am I the Pharisee or am I the publican? May God grant us ears to hear that we would not experience a superficial Thanksgiving. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Luke 18, 9-14. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The perfect word of God the people of God preach in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the food that you have provided that we were going to feast on in a minute. We thank you already for the beautiful music that you've given us for this children's moment to remind us, Father, to stop looking at the holes and to start looking at the donut, everything that you have given us. But Father, help us to always give thanks simply for who you are, how beautiful you are, how loving and merciful and gracious and long-suffering you are. Father, thank you for that. Father, I pray for each person that is here, you will unclog their ears. Father, you will set aside their daily cares that they will take this time to truly hear, not from Buffy Cook, but from God Almighty from above as your word is proclaimed to them. And I pray, Father, if there's any person here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, today will be the day, as we've already sung, that the angels will jump and sing and shout, and we will too. Because the sinner came home. We ask all this now in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So set just a little bit of context. We'll look at first the Pharisee, a superficial thanksgiver. The parables of Jesus encompass a lot of his fundamental teaching. Depending on how you put them out, there's some 39 to 46 of them in the Gospels. They're always told in public settings and they either make clear or high truth depending on the heart of the hearer. And what you have to know is they function kind of like a joke. A joke turns on the punchline, right? And so a parable hits home on a twist, an unexpected turn. So take the one that we know the best, probably, Good Samaritan. Most people would say, well, that is an oxymoron. There are no good Samaritans. And so we then find that the priest, the Levite, passing by, and the dirty dog Samaritan is the one who shows compassion. That's the twist. And so Luke tells us right out the gate of Jesus' intended target. Look at what he says there in verse 9. He's telling this parable to who? Two people. Trusted and treated. They trusted in themselves they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. And so Jesus sets the stage. Look at verse 10. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, another a tax collector. 
Now notice, first, both have got the why of thanksgiving down. They know they need to do it because it honors God. It's commanded in Scripture and thanklessness is hazardous to their health. They've got the when down. They're at the time of thanksgiving and sacrifice and they've got the where down. They're in the temple. All that is left is the what and the how. And so take just a moment to think about this. The same is true with us today. Some of you, why are you here? Maybe it's because of guilt that I need to come. Maybe because the food enticed you. Maybe because your wife said if you want to go hunting this week or fishing this week, then you're coming to church. Whatever it may be, is your why in the right place? Because you're in the right time, in the right place, it's whether you have got the what and the how correct. Because you notice that you can be in the exact right place for supposedly the right reasons at exactly the right time and you know more closer to thanking God than a rock. And so the crowd's mind's got to be turning. They've got to be thinking, Jesus is telling this parable, He's telling this story, who's going to be the good thanksgiver in their mind? The Pharisee. Who's going to be the bad thanksgiver in their mind? The publican. You see? You see how it turns like a joke? Because that's what would have been in their mind and in, their, in the context of this. Now that we've got that, we're going to see three things about the Pharisee. He was unaware of his greatest need, unconcerned about the publican, and unchanged when he returned home. First, unaware of his greatest need. Look back at verse 9. Jesus told this parable. Why? Because he wants to show some people trusted in themselves they were righteous. If that don't happen today, I don't know what does. The word trusted there, or confident, is a Greek word that means convinced, persuaded of, depending on, trusting in, assured of, certain of. This guy was persuaded of, trusted in, assured and certain of his own righteousness. The word righteous there in the Greek means to be in accordance with a high standard of rectitude, upright or just. Job asked in Job 9.2, one of the greatest questions that a man could ever be asked, what must a man do to be right before God? You know what this guy would have said? Be like Mike. Be like Mike the Israelite. You just be like me and you'll be righteous before God. Because recall in Jesus' day, who were the strict Jews? The Pharisees. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. He acknowledged that these guys acted righteous, but it wasn't enough. But you know what they thought? Well, we're the only ones going to heaven. They believed. They were disciplined. They were morally upright. They took the law seriously. So seriously that they built a hedge around the law. You remember, look back at Luke 6. We've already preached this, but look at Luke 6. So that they wouldn't break the Mosaic law, they had a, another law, the law of tradition, around that. On a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, the disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, What? Why are you doing what is what? Not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Nowhere in the law did it say that you couldn't do this. A man rubbed some grain and eat on the Sabbath. Nowhere. But they had built this hedge around the law so that they then wouldn't break it. Turn to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Verse 
Another example. Verse 1 and 2. You don't think Jesus had some stern words. We'll get to three, too. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Notice what they said, the tradition of who? The elders. It ain't, the God. It ain't God. The tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands when they eat. Where is that in the law? Nowhere. And look at what Jesus said. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And so Pharisees thought themselves right with God based on three A's. Think of this if you want to write it down. Three A's. Ancestry, attitude, and action. Ancestry, attitude, and action. And we're going to look at each of these. Their three main actions were to pray, give alms, and fast. And that brought them, or shall I better say, bought them personal righteousness. And so look at the three A's. First, ancestry, the Pharisee. As a Pharisee, you know what he probably thought about himself? I'm an automatic in. Now we're going to come back to that in just a second. Number two, attitude. Look at what it says. Standing, mine says by himself prayed in the ESV. Yours may say standing prayed to himself. There were three times of public prayer, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., which was the time of the daily lamb sacrifice. The religious leaders, that wasn't good enough. They added another one at noon. And so standing, eyes to heaven, arms raised, was a typical posture to pray. They must not have been Baptists because they raised their actual hands. Fitzmaier points out, given the remark in 1813, that the tax collector stands far off, this guy has gone right on in into the inner court of the temple. He's just so good and so righteous, he's just busted right on into the inner court. And so he prays to himself. So does that mean he was praying silently? Well, the preposition there can be rendered about. And notice what the whole prayer was about. Himself. He thanks God, what? Not for God and who He is and what He's done, but he thanks God for what? Him and who He is and what He's done. Dr. Wiersbe says this, the Pharisee was deluded about prayer for he prayed with himself and told God and anybody else listening how good he was. His prayer, as I put in my notes, was, God, I thank you that I'm such a great guy. And so, and as far as application at this point, brothers and sisters, you know one of the, most, the things we ought to be the most thankful for at Thanksgiving? Obviously, other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ought to be thankful for prayer. You know it's one of the greatest blessings we've been given? ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That ought to be how we pray every day. Every day we ought to be thanking God for who He is and what He's done. Not just on Thanksgiving. And then J-O-Y, you want true joy in your prayer life? Then pray for Jesus, pray for what He's done, who He is, pray for others and put yourself last. Remember Vicky gave the five finger prayer? What's the little finger represent? You. You pray for yourself last. Most of us, what do we start? This way, inverted. We pray for me, 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 first, first and only. 
Turn to Hebrews chapter 7 because it's not only a blessing that we can pray for other people, but we ought to be thankful, brothers and sisters. You know, as I heard uh, Dr. Rogers say this week, he said, how would you feel if right in there in the youth room you knew that Jesus Christ was praying for you right now? Do you know that He's actually doing that? Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, He is able to say to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Praise God. Thank Him that Jesus Christ is always living to make prayer for this crazy old boy. So his ancestor, his attitude and actions. Look at this. Look at verse 11. What's he say first that he's thankful for? God, I thank you. I ain't like your mother folk. He had a bad case of comparisonitis. And notice who he picks. Who does he pick? The worst. Well, I thank you I ain't a murderer. I thank you that I'm not a rapist. I thank you that I'm not an Islamic terrorist. I thank you that I'm not an adulterer. His list is very similar to 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. And so think about, fast forward 2,000 years, and what do we do? Who do we compare ourselves to? Do we compare ourselves to the Word? Do we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. Don't worry about how the person in the pew looks beside you and how good they're doing. You compare yourself to the Word and to Jesus. But what we do, we get this list from 1 Corinthians 6 and we say, well, thank you that I'm not sexually immoral. Thank you that I'm not an idolater. And you got so many idols, it's crazy. Thank you I ain't an adulterer. Thank you I'm not a homosexual. I'm not bad like them. Thank you that I don't steal stuff and greedy and I ain't a drunk. And that's what we do. And look what this guy does for good measure. He says, I think I ain't like these guys or this tax collector. Do you notice he knew nothing about this guy other than what he did for a living? Do we not make the same kind of judgments? Well, I'm thankful that I'm a doctor and not a lawyer because those guys are scumbags. I thank you that I'm not an IRS agent. They cheat their mama. I mean, he's got to be worse than me because he's a tax collector. And look, he goes on, toots his horn even more. Look at verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. They would fast Mondays and Thursdays, which was way over the one time a year requirement in the law on the Day of Atonement. He tithed probably even down to the herbs in his garden. You remember what Jesus said? He said, you tithe out even the deal. He said, and you don't even love people, really. And so he says, God, thank you I'm such a swell guy. God, you really ought to be impressed with my record of service down there at the church. Do you remember when we went to reality check? Do you remember what Tizzy's character said? Well, now man, I'm telling you, if I didn't give all the money around here, this church would just fall right in. If I didn't do all the stuff around here is what Tad's character said, right? If I didn't roast the turkey and sweep the floor and bring in the money and take the youth on youth trips, would nothing get done around here? 
Why is it so quiet? You know why? Because we got folks that do the same thing this Pharisee was standing in the temple doing and stand in Southern Baptist churches and do it every single week. We act like God can't do it on His own. We act like Jesus Christ hasn't been building His church for 2,000 years and when Buffy Cook dies, it's still going to be here. That was a painful reality God had to show me. He had to humble me. He had to break my legs. That's what you do with a sheep sometimes is you break its legs and then you put it beside the shepherd until the leg heals. He had to break my leg and say, Dude, you ain't all that in a bag of chips. I got this. It's my church and I will accomplish it long after you're dead and gone. Thank God that I get to serve the purpose of God in my generation now. But God is way bigger than any of us. If He wants to save this whole world without even any of us doing anything about it, He can do it. Because that's how powerful He is. And so, I wonder, as I always say, had this guy not read? Turn to Isaiah. Y'all know the one... I mean, he's just so impressed with himself. He's so awesome. We ought to give him Pharisee of the Year Award. Isaiah 64, 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All that stuff you toot and you horn about, big boy, it's nothing but filthy rags because of your attitude. Isaiah 29, 13, Jesus quoted this in Matthew 15. How far do you think this guy's lips were to the Lord? Really close. Now how far do you think his heart was from the Lord? It's in another solar system. Isaiah 29, 13, and the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And you know what? As Jesus tells this parable, you know what I can envision? I can envision everybody just cracking up and laughing. You know why? Because they've got a neighbor that's a Pharisee that acts like this. They've got a boss that's a Pharisee that acts like this. Maybe they've got an uncle. that You know that annoying uncle in your family? They got an annoying pharisaical uncle. They all knew a Pharisee that acted like this. Now fast forward 2,000 years, self-righteousness is still the most dangerous sin of religious people. Churches are filled with folks who are scrupulous to observe a rigid menu of morality. Now brothers and sisters, on the one hand, in this hour, in our lives, personal holiness is of extreme importance, I believe. The world has got enough garbage. They don't need garbage. What they need is they need purity. They need to see Christians living a moral, upright life and something that they cannot get and the world cannot offer because it only comes through Jesus Christ. And they need to see us living that out. Yet to believe that only the holiness church, only the Baptists, only the church of Christ are going to make it because their automatic end is unbiblical. Y'all know the joke that a man goes to heaven and he comes up there and St. Peter shows him the first room 
and it's people just jumping up and down, clapping and carrying on. And he says, who's that? He says, man, that's a Pentecostal. And he goes to the next room and sees people in there and they're singing. Now they don't have their hands raised. He says, who's this? He says, that's the Baptist. And then he goes to another room and the door's shut and he opens it up and it's super quiet. He says, who's that? He says, it's Church Christ. They think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> but you know there are Baptists think they're the only ones going to get there. There's Church of Christ, holiness. Well, I'm raised in the South. I've been raised in church all my life, so I'm an automatic in. That self-righteousness at best and self-deception that's going to lead you to loss of your life at worst. And it's unbiblical. It really is another gospel. What we learned is what? And we proclaimed amongst you is this, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what you need. That's right. And so, what have we done? We built a hedge around the law too. We throw up rules and all kinds of stuff. You can't have open-toed shoes. Oh my gosh, y'all got a pastor that's up in the pulpit and he's got on blue jeans. Oh my gracious, you know, you can't have, uh, you can't ever have a glass of wine. You can't have a beer. You can't smoke. Well, let's not do drugs. Now, hang on. Prescription ones are okay, but them illegal ones, we can't have those. Um, you know, we can't drink caffeinated beverages. On and on and on. Do you get the point? We do the same thing the Pharisees do. We put a whole hedge around the law that means absolutely nothing and it's nowhere found in this Word. What we ought to be thankful for is this, is that I'm justified in Christ. Amen. And when I accept Jesus Christ, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. No sin I ever commit will ever keep me out of the kingdom because Jesus already paid for it. Praise God, thanks be to Him, not me, and that I fried a turkey this morning or I gave some offering this morning. It's Him and Him alone. Amen? Amen. And then second, look, He's unconcerned about the publican. Look at verse 9. Treated others with contempt. You know what happens when we start to be self-righteous? You know what we do? We look down on other people. And it, the word here, uh, viewed others, treated others, despised others, means to say that they have no worth or merit. And he says, everybody else but me is worthless. And think about the Pharisees and how they acted. Jesus is what? Oh, he's a friend of sinners. Well, hallelujah, he's a friend of sinners. I'm thankful that he is. Fast forward 2,000 years. Who do we look down on? If a punk rocker came in here, would they be welcome? If a teen that was pregnant and had body piercings and goth clothes on, would they be welcome? Are single moms? Are divorced men and women? How about gamblers, junkies, addicts? You know, seven of the most beautiful words in Scripture, I read 1 Corinthians 6 earlier, is this. And such were yeah. some of you. Yes. I was terrible. I still at heart am a terrible person. But Jesus has washed me. He has cleansed me. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. What we still do today, we do the same. We say, I guarantee you this guy said, I'm even better than other Pharisees. Do you know we have Baptists that say that? Well, I'm better than other Baptists. 
I'm a free will primitive King James only Baptist. And you know what I say? Show me your checkbook and your calendar. Show me when the last time was you actually loved people. That's what we're told to do. Are you thankful for salvation? Go tell other people about Jesus Christ then. Are you thankful for all that God has given you? Then let's do Acts 2 church and share it just like we did with Thanksgiving. Are you thankful for kindness? Pass it on. you thankful for grace? you thankful for how God has shown it to you? Show it to other people. you thankful for Christian fellowship? Extend it. you thankful for prayers? Pray for folks. Are you thankful like Paul for all the people in your lives? Then tell people. Say it. Amen. Show it. I think I've told you all this before. I saw a church sign that said, what if you had today what you thanked God for yesterday? What if you had today what you thanked God for yesterday? And I thought about how many people would Buffy Cook have in his life? Because how many people did I fail to give thanks for? And then unchanged when he returned home, look at what Jesus said. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. The Pharisee went down how? Unjustified. He exalted himself and so he was what? Humbled. I mean, you could say this guy was good start, bad finish. Because it was all about me. You fast forward 2,000 years, there's going to be lots of folks that come to church this Sunday. And there's going to be lots of folks that walk out the back door the exact same way they came in. And that's unchanged. And it happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because they refuse to listen to the Spirit of God. Amen. Next is the publican. He was a spiritual thanksgiver. If the Pharisee was good start, bad finish, this dude is bad start, great finish. I mean, if you've been in church any length of time, you know how despised tax collectors were, right? I mean, there's no worse group of people in first century than tax collectors. Think about how he would have been living for himself. What was he serving? Mammon, not God. Proud, self-reliant. You think he thanked God for rain? You think he thanked God for all the common grace in his life? Probably not. But I want you to note three things about him. First is temperament. Look at him in verse 13. First, he's standing far off. Why was he standing far off? Because he said, I'm not worthy. You see, the other guy just busted right on into the inner court. This guy's probably standing in the out. He's probably out in the parking lot because he feels so unworthy to even be there. And then it says he wouldn't lift up his eyes to heaven. Why? Again, unworthy. He beat his breast. And I heard, uh, I read one commentator that said this, and this was profound. Why did he beat his breast? Because he knew where his greatest problem was. Did you hear that? You know why you ought to come in here every Sunday and beat your breast? Because you know where your greatest problem is? Your greatest problem is right here in your heart. It's deceitful, desperately sick and wicked. And so I think his body language to me just screams out Psalm 51. His heart cries out, magnify him. Psalm 69, I'll read from there for you. Psalm 69, 30. And 31, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. 
Second, notice his tongue. He says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What comes out of the mouth proceedeth out of where? The heart. There's no truer and clearer indication of a man, a woman's heart than what? Their lips and their speech. They both got off to a good start. God, I thank you. God, be merciful. But the Pharisee quickly goes off the track. His favorite hymn, David, is me, me, me. And his favorite church activity is comparisonitis. And so look at how this tax collector finishes. He says a sinner. If you have the NASB, it says the sinner. Which reminded me of Paul's words. I, Buffy Cook, I ain't a sinner. I'm the sinner. The chief of sinners. And Jesus still forgave me. He don't compare himself. And then second, be merciful to me. Eventually, I'm going to get you people to do in word studies. Because when you read that word and you just see, be merciful, you don't really get the true picture. You see, there's two words. There's a common word and a rare word. The common word, 31 times it's used, basically just means this. Have compassion on me, somebody that's in tragic circumstances. The second word, which is only used two times in Scripture, is the same word as mercy seat. It means, Lord, be propitiated. Let your anger be removed from me. Remember, he's there when the lamb is being sacrificed. And I can imagine him saying, God, oh, please, God, I'm a horrible sinner. I am the sinner, the worst sinner on this planet. That lamb that is being sacrificed, let the blood be from me and your anger towards me be propitiated. You see the difference in their prayers? You hear it? Dr. Bach says this publican, he's concerned only with improving his own spiritual health and he knew the only way to do so is to rely totally on God's mercy. And then notice his transformation. Look at what Jesus said. He went down to his home justified, a new creation, a new man. He came humbly to the Lord, asked Him to save him. Truly thankful. And then look at what Jesus says. Because he humbled himself, then he would be exalted. Now this must have been quite the shock. Because the old covenant was, if you do, I'll bless you. If you don't do, I'm going to curse you. Deuteronomy 27-29. The new covenant is this. You do out of love, but guess what? Jesus did. It's finished. The Maasai tribe that we see many times in Africa, they have an unusual way of saying thank you. This is how they say thank you. They bow, put their head on the ground, and say my head is in the dirt. Another African tribe, the way they express thanks is they sit for a long time in the front of the hut of the person who did the favor and then say I sit on the ground before you. They get that the true spirit of thanksgiving is this. Humility. We need to be humble folks. Again, fast forward 2,000 years. A lot of folks are going to leave out of here and they're going to be shouting 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Thank you God that I didn't have to because Jesus did it. 
I want to ask you, can you imagine the impact Jesus' parable had on these folks? I mean, I imagine there's probably some in the crowd, again, that are laughing. Maybe they're even pointing at old Joe the Pharisee and going, yeah, you know, I saw him doing that last week. In the temple, talking about how good he was. How do you think the Pharisees reacted to this parable? Probably livid. Angry. Now, how do you think the crowd was acting? He just told prostitutes and tax collectors and the worst people on the planet that you can be acceptable to God because of the free gift of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I bet you Thanksgiving broke out right there on the spot and there wasn't a turkey one killed and served. There wasn't no chicken and dressing. There wasn't no green bean casserole, sweet potato casserole, pies, cakes. All it was was lamb. Lamb. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what they were thankful for. So in closing, there was a Thanksgiving. A family was seated around the table and they're looking at the bird, the turkey. And oldest the youngest, they start to tell what they're thankful for. So they get to the five-year-old, and you know how they can be. He looks at it, and he starts thanking the, for the turkey, and says even though he hadn't tasted it, he knows it's going to be great. And so then he just keeps on going. Thanks his mom for cooking the turkey. Thanks his dad for buying the turkey. And that wasn't good enough. He said, I thank you for the checker at the grocery store who checked out the turkey. I thank you for the grocery store people that put it on the shelf, the farmer that made it fat, the man who grew the feed, those who brought the turkey to the store. As we say at our house, look, we're trying to eat, not save the world, right? But he traces all the way back. And the family's sitting there just bored. And finally he turns and he says, did I leave anybody out? And the two-year-old goes, uh, God... (laughs) And not missing a beat, he says, well, I was about to get to him. Ain't that how we do? I was about to get to him. When we gather Thursday around the tables in our homes to celebrate Thanksgiving, as we gather to do so here in just a minute, that's the big question. Are we really going to get to him this Thanksgiving? The single greatest thing we should be thankful for is not the turkey, the food. It shouldn't even be the stuff in your house or your house or your car. It ought to be your precious Lord and Savior's body broken for you and His blood poured out that you could be white as snow. That God had mercy on an old terrible sinner like this boy and then would give him the amazing privilege to stand before you week after week and proclaim his perfect word. Blows my mind. And so, what kind of thanksgiver are you going to be? You're going to be superficial like the Pharisee? You're going to be spiritual like the publican? May we take to our home 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You so much for this time to gather together and, Father, to worship You. We pray that we have done that. We pray that we have entered Your courts with thanksgiving and, Father, with uh, not only uh, praise on our lips, but praise in our hearts for who You are and what You have done. 
Father, I thank you for this meal that we're about to receive. I pray you would just bless it to our bodies that through it, Father, we can love you better and we can serve you better and we can continue to take the gospel to the end of the street and the end of the earth. Father, I pray that you would just forgive us now in the many ways in which we have failed you and I pray as we come to this time of invitation that you would just bless it. That if there's anyone here today that needs to make any decision for you, that you would just open their eyes and their hearts and stir the Holy Spirit in them to respond to what you're calling them to do. I ask this now in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as I was praying this morning, you know what I thank God for? That which I'm most thankful for. Will and I had a discussion yesterday and he said he was talking to a guy this week. Basically said he's listening to the good stuff in his head more than he's listening to the bad stuff and so he's alright. I just hope he's got a right tally of how many times he's listened to the good voice and not the bad voice. Amen. What if he's off by one? One little word, one gigantic word that I'm most thankful for, Tetelestai. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I'm thankful that I don't have to trust in myself. I'm thankful that I don't have to do enough to be right before God. Because I could never be good enough and I could never do good enough. I'm thankful that Jesus was and Jesus is. I'm thankful it is finished. And so he who knew no sin, God may sin that you and I can be the righteousness of God. No wonder four chapters later Paul burst out in this doxology. I said, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. For the eternal life it brings a free gift. An unbelievable, inexpressible gift of eternal life. Well, we've talked about it. Gifts have to be received, don't they? So how do you receive Christ's righteousness? Well, first off, you stop trusting in yourself. Because it's not going to work, brothers and sisters. Every religion outside of Christianity, it is be good enough or do good enough. Only in Christianity did this man be good enough and do good enough. Lived a perfect life for 30 years. Can you imagine that? I can't live one for 30 seconds. And then he went to a cross and he gave up his precious blood, perfect, a sacrifice for me and for you. And so then all you have to do is confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. It's not a question mark. Will be. But with the heart you believe and are justified, made right before God, and with the mouth you confess and are saved, born again to eternal life. So come receive Christ's free gift of eternal life if you've never done that this morning. Or whatever God may be stirring you, something you just want to come to the altar and lay at the altar, or you have accepted the Lord, you received His free gift of eternal life but never been baptized, and you want to come as a candidate for baptism or to join here as a member of Crossway Baptist Church, whatever it is, listen to the Lord as we sing this morning. You'll stand. Stand, page 320. 
In the light of his glory. 